Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Coach's Corner. I'm Coach Andrew Poretz from Ingenuity Coaching. I help people discover and fulfill their passions and greatness. My mission, to inspire and challenge you to dream big dreams. And with my coaching, help you manifest those dreams into reality. You can visit my website at myfuturecoach.com and follow me on Twitter at Coach Andrew. If you're listening live and you have a question, the phone number here is 646-929-2893. You'll be able to listen to to the show on the phone, and if you press the number one, I'll know you have a question. We also have a live chat room on the show page where you can feel free to comment or post questions. My guest tonight is Roberta Dene. Roberta looks like she just walked out of the Great Gatsby. She doesn't just look the part, she lives it. Roberta is a jazz age preservationist, guardian of Depression-era sounds, and extender of traditions. On her album Bath, Bathtub Gin, the singer-composer contributes originals in the spirit of the 20s and 30s. On this album, which she co-produced and co-arranged with Sam Bevan, R- Roberta imbues classic songs with a contemporary verve while also managing to capture the spirit of her musical predecessors and an emerging America, honoring the tradition of such seminal singers as Bessie Smith, Ma Rainey, Sippy Wallace, Louis, Arm- Louis Armstrong, Ethel Waters, Billie Holiday, and Josephine Baker. Especially well-known in the Bay Area where she lives, Roberta was originally produced by the late Oren Keepnews. She's toured the country with her guitar and has performed live and in recordings of the late Dan Hicks. Roberta has also appeared with Ernestine Anderson, Booker T, Junior Brown. Well, you know, I could continue going on and on, but you know what? I have Roberta right here with me. Roberta, are you with me? I am. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. It's an honor to have you. I have uh, listened to you. I have seen you in concert. Oh, it's not, I'm going to say in concert, but in a, in, a, in a special set in New York, and I'm really excited to have you here. And you still want to talk to me, huh, after all Especially that? Especially now. I'm more than ever. <laughs> 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 Who's that dame, I thought to myself? I better have her on my show. And what is she doing in that garb? Why is she in doing that? In that garb. It's like, wait a minute, how did I walk back into time? Yes. Yes, we do walk back into time, and we walk back into time so we understand going forward, I think. You know, it's good to look back. I love history. I'm a history buff. So this project came out of that that love, I think, How the music so? I grew up on. Well, I grew up in Washington, D.C., and um, I had my radio that I got to listen to, and I had some of my parents' records, and they had stuff like George Gershwin, they had Louis Armstrong, they had... Billie Holiday, Ella Fitzgerald, and of course, I, you know, as a kid, I was just consumed by this music called jazz. Mm-hmm. I was absolutely consumed by it, and I must have learned like 200 songs by the time I was five. I just, that's all I thought about. I thought about music. I thought about musicians. I thought musicians were gods. You know, it was very rare to meet somebody mm-hmm. where I was that actually played music. You remember the, the first uh, song you when you said you by the age of five you had two hundred songs. Do you remember the first one? Yes, the first per, the first song I performed was Five Foot Two Eyes of Blue. Has anybody seen my gal? You know that mm-hmm. song. And I was at my uncle's wedding. Actually, it was in New Jersey or New York. I think it's New Jersey. And uh, yeah, I snuck up on the stage. There was like a big band, and I snuck up there and. And just sang it into the microphone by myself on, a, on one of their breaks, and got this thunderous applause. And I guess that was it, you know, 
for me. <laughs> wow. And have you, do you do you still still sing that song? You know, I haven't sung that song except to myself. Uh huh. But um, I played it as an instrumental. In fact, I used to play that with Dan Hicks. And oh wow. Hicks. Yeah, and my band, by the way, is called the Prohibition Mob Band. I just want to put that out there. Prohibition Mob Band, and, and tell me about that name. Yeah, so, you know, back in the 20s and 30s when the Prohibition was going on, the Prohibition started in the 20s, in 1920, actually, the same year that women got the vote. And when Prohibition started, everything went underground. Of course, people wanted to drink more than ever. You know, if you if you want somebody to do something, just take it away from them, and they really want to do it, right? Mm-hmm. So, so um, it was the first time, actually, that men and women drank together because women were not really allowed in bars before that. So they they turned these, you know, places, these back rooms and people's homes and just, you know, underground places into what they called speakeasies. And, of course, it was illegal to have liquor, open liquor, alcohol anywhere uh, in public. So so these places were really run by the mob. Mm. And there's a lot of people that got very, very wealthy at that time just importing liquor and, of course, some people made some stuff in there at home, and it was really bad. You know, they used, like, bad alcohol, and it blinded mm-hmm. people. I mean, people died from wow. bad alcohol. So um, this this latest record came out of that. Um, it's called Bathtub Gin, and so it pays homage to that particular time. And uh, we wrote that song for this album, and it was basically to get a story together that showed a young woman going out in New York, actually, mm-hmm. uh, for the first time. What would that be like to go to a speakeasy and what happened when she got there? So that whole song is about is about that. So every song is kind of shows, you know, pieces of life in that during that era. And it's just so much fun. I love, you know, the history of jazz and mm-hmm. how it started. And so this whole project came out of that just wanting to explore, and I wasn't planning to stay in that era, but it just turned out there's so many great songs, and songs that had never been done before, I mean, after the first time they were recorded. So we just tried to find very obscure material. So out of the obscure ones, what's your your favorite song that hasn't been really recorded since then? Um, On this record, I think it's called... um, if you want the rainbow, you must have the rain, which is a song that was done by Annette Hanshaw mm-hmm. in the 1920s, and it was never re-recorded since then until our recording of it. And it's a very, um, I think it's a very unusual song. The other one that was not re-recorded, but we don't know when, exactly when it was written, but it was by Elizabeth Cotton, and it's called Shake Sugaree. And it's about a young woman who lo- loses her farm, loses everything during the Depression. So it was a very fitting fitting story for this project. So, uh, you know, it sounds like that when you're telling me this, that you're, that you're really about the story, that's not just the music. Totally about the story. And actually, because I'm also a writer, mm-hmm. I think, you know, just, yeah. I mean, it's a, it is always about the story. And it's about... The mentors. I mean, I I I, th- I used to ask myself, you know, who was Billie Holiday's mentor? Mm-hmm. And 
you know, I wanted to seek out who she listened to, and of course that was Bessie Smith. Mm-hmm. And then I asked the question, well, who did Bessie Smith listen to? And that was Ma Rainey, and so that's where I started by going back to the very, you know, people that inspired the people that I love, just adore them. So, and I learned all these things. It was just an incredible, incredible thing. So we also share, we try to share the history of the artists and behind the songs and the era and what was happening with women and all kinds of stuff, social stuff that happened during that era. Do you ever wish you were you were back in that time? Um, yes and no. I don't, you know, I because I'm a woman, I don't think it would have been a whole lot of fun to be a woman unless I was a very young flapper. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I think that was it was a real pretty pretty raunchy time for for women. And uh yeah, no. I I don't think so. I mean, yes and no, you know. So you like Musically, it's like a good place to visit. It's a very good place to visit. Musically, I would say yes. I mean, the jazz age to me is probably the greatest, you know, the greatest age of music or swing, the swing era. That whole era of music to me, when swing music was the music of the people and it was basically like the pop music of the time, mm-hmm. I think that would have been an incredible time to live, like especially if you were in New York. So, oh, yeah, for sure. You know, one thing that really you know, sticks out for me around that time period with the music uh, is how people dressed, and and you dressed the part uh, of somebody from that time when you when you're performing. Um, uh, and so, what do you what do you think about how people dress today? When you go out today to to uh, go dancing, if it's not that kind of a place, people tend to just I don't know. I don't think we have that kind of dress up mentality outside of this you know, sort yeah. of circle of swing, for example, where they had that. Yeah, actually, for me, it's more about the guys. The guys look so great. And the guys in our band, they dress like 30s mobsters, basically. Mm -hmm. So they dress like Jimmy Cagney or they dress like Humphrey Bogart. And, you know, I've noticed at the shows that people people will come in costume and the young guys will come in costume more than the women. So I think it's because every guy just looks great in that. They look great in suspenders. Mm -hmm. They look great in vests. They look great with hats on, ties. You know, they just, I don't know, it's a real kind of a classy thing for a guy. And the flappers, of course, were these very young women in the 20s who um, they cut their short, their skirts really short and they bobbed their hair. And it was, I think, in response to all the men had gone off to World War One, and mm-hmm. they started taking over their jobs. And so they really wanted to party. They were cussing. They were drinking. They were partying, and they wanted to dance, and they, they couldn't dance in those Victorian, let's face it, they, can't, they couldn't dance in those long no. Victorian, you know, everything was like, like up to the up to the neck and down to the floor, and I think they had hoop skirts. I mean, it was just ridiculous for dancing. So they cut everything short, and the clothes were very loose-fitting on women, so that's where the tassels came in and all the, you know, the really fun pearls and jewelry and... Yeah, I mean, those women changed the scene. They changed the history for women pretty much for a very long time. I don't know what happened, honestly, between the 20s and the 50s. It's very confusing to me what happened to women. You know what I mean? Like, sure. Yeah. But we also had, you know, World War II. They had a, 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 a kind of a different thing. But you know, the women, again, uh, they went to work. 
uh, went yeah. during the war. They replaced, uh, you know, Rosie the Riveter and all that. You know, and it was a really hip time to be gay, gay or bi, and women, you know, hung out with other women, and it was just like a really hip time. And then I, so I don't know why things went kind of backwards, but um, they certainly did in this country. So, mm-hmm. although of course back then gay was actually meant just meant happy, and and so that word appears in a lot of songs from that era, and it means something completely different. I think it. I think it means the same thing now, doesn't it? No. <laughs> <laughs> well now if somebody says, Oh, I'm gay, that means you're 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 homosexual. Whereas then it was like you know, we were happy and gay in the very, very months of May. Right, uh, right. You know, and all that and uh uh yeah, there must be, uh, in fact I thought it'd be it'd be a fun show to do just songs that have that word in it that means something completely different. That's a good idea actually. Yeah. That's a very good idea. Yeah, okay, I have a bunch of projects where I have a bunch of projects we're working on that have elements of that idea in them. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's it's very fun. And, of course, we're not doing very, um, I would say we don't do really the white side of that music. We're really more in the, in the black side of, mm-hmm. of that era. And um, we're really paying homage to those original artists. And, and we're really into the, basically the blues, the blues edge of that. Of that right. jazz, so yeah. So we're kind of different from a lot of those bands that come out. Well, yeah, I'd like to go back a little bit uh, further with you and see, like, before you were doing an album like Bathtub Gin, what were you doing? Well, right before Bathtub Gin, we recorded A Little Sugar, and that both of those albums are on Motema Music. Before that, I made my first real jazz album with Orrin Keep News in San Francisco. And um, I worked with him, and uh, that was with Eric Reed Trio, with Dave Ellis as a special guest. Mm-hmm. And I actually was able to study with Oren kind of, you know, a lot of history of jazz, because, of course, he was the master uh, jazz producer who started Riverside Records, and then he had Landmark Records. He worked at Milestones. He worked at mm-hmm. Fantasy. So he... Um, kind of raised me in, in jazz, and I had a lot of jazz musicians when I first came out to California who raised me in jazz. I mean, I, I hung out with them, I listened to them, and that was basically it. But I grew up um, as a songwriter, and I was singing, you know, I was singing, and I was writing poetry as a kid. And then when I got my first guitar, I was 16. And um, so I started playing immediately. I was put into a band like two mm-hmm. months, within two months of learning guitar. And I started playing in bands and traveling around, and uh, basically I was just a songwriter. I was not really considering being a singer. I didn't, because who I listened to, I thought, well, there's Billie Holiday and there's Ella, right. and I don't sound like them. I mean, inside, mm-hmm. inside, when I sing, I would hear Nina Simone. I'd hear this really deep, beautiful, strong voice and then I would listen to the recording that I just made and I thought it sounded like Minnie Mouse you know it was just like this high squeaky sound that I I couldn't really live with that so um, you know it's like a white girl sound and I didn't I really didn't like it so um, I was thinking you know well if you can't be Billy or Ella you know why bother you know that was my attitude sure so I just I was a very yeah, it was a very, But how did you very, find your voice then? 
Well, I was a very serious writer, and I was writing for other artists over the years, and I kept writing songs, and every day was writing songs, and um, that was pretty much 100% of what I did. And by default, I ended up recording them and singing them, and I would take my songs to L.A., like in a little suitcase with little cassettes and stuff. I'd go down to L.A., and I'd pitch all these songs, and over and over again, I'd have people telling me, well, we like this song, but who's the singer? And it'd be like, I don't know, some some chick, you know. I yeah. just, <laughs> I but it it just and I just kept getting hired as a singer, which is very surprising to me. You know, I was surprised that I ended up making more money as a singer even as than as a writer. And I really thought songwriting would be a very stable job, right? <laughs> now, I, I, well, it probably was at one time. It was at one time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah when, like they, during when this, they, they showed those old movies with the uh, songwriters in the, uh, in the Brill Building or on Tin Pan Alley and then knocking out the songs, you know, a exactly. bunch of them a day. and then they... Exactly. And the first pop song I ever wrote, so I was basically writing jazz and I was writing folk, folk and blues and jazz as a kid. And then um, mm-hmm. the first pop song I wrote, was picked up for the second album by Whitney Houston, and then it was bumped off the album, and that kept happening to me. My second song was picked up for Aretha Franklin's 25th anniversary mm-hmm. album, and that was dropped. And then I got a song on Sheena Easton. It kept, it just kept happening. So I think any one of those songs could have, it, you know, it would have made a real income. Were they but, were they recorded, or or, or, or or was it cut before the recording? Uh, both. Sometimes it huh. was cut and then dropped, or it was, you know, it was picked up by producers. And it, mm-hmm. like, I got a letter from Clive Davis's office. And of course, during that time, there were LPs, and you could only get ten songs on a record, right. front and back, right? So I realized, you know, my my song had to be better than those other songwriters, and they were paying some of those songwriters, you know, a couple hundred thousand a year to write for Whitney. So. It, it was very political too, right? Sure. Now, have, have any of those songs uh, surfaced somewhere? Uh, yeah, they were recorded by other people, mm-hmm. actually, and um, one of them came out in a movie that won a bunch of uh, film awards, and it was sung by actually did, one song was sung by Linda Tillery, who's a great artist here, who has a group, really great, great, great group called the Cultural Heritage Choir. You guys mm-hmm. can look her up. Um, and she recorded that, but she never put it out herself. We we really encouraged her to. But it is on YouTube, and that song is called Love Laid Its Hand on Me. Love Laid Its so, Hand on Me. Okay. Yeah, Love Laid Its Hand on Me. I wrote that song with Tony Johnson, another great songwriter, who wrote Midnight in Memphis for Bette Midler, The Rose, that movie. And um, and I had another song. One of the songs was recorded in Japan by on RCA by another artist. So yeah, a lot of those songs were recorded, but they weren't, um, you know, they weren't platinum albums or. You but know. Uh, what I what I really meant was into any of the, the 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 artists who like where they got cut off the album, but they had, you know, is there something in the vault by somebody like a Whitney Houston that never has appeared? I've never gotten a copy. Actually, I was called by um, I went to Motown Records one day. In L.A., because I think I got a call from somebody there, and I walked in, and actually it was really funny because the guy, the reception 
uh, area. I had an appointment with Hal Davis, who I didn't really know who that was, but he was one of their big producers. Wow, yeah. And so they picked up that song, and I walked in, and I said, I'm Roberta Donay, and I have an appointment. They said, you're not Roberta. They were, like, arguing with me. You can't be her, because that's like a gospel, you know, <laughs> blues. It was very black-sounding song. I said, no, I, I, I'm Roberta, and I had to, like, prove that I, it was very funny. So um finally sat with him, and then uh, he didn't say very much. He just said, we really liked the song, and blah, 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 and I got up to leave, and I was a very shy girl and I didn't ever follow up on anything, you know, so I just left, came home and um, didn't know that they actually cut the song, but they shelved the project, so it sat Mm. in a vault for 10 years and then the same artist got picked up by another label and they asked her, is there any song at Motown that you really like that we could buy from them? And she said, yeah, there's this one song, because Love laid its hand on me. So (laughs) they actually put that out. But I still don't. I still don't have a copy of it. Mm-hmm. Never found it. So, yeah, happens. Well, you right? know what I would like to do, Roberta. I would really love to play one of your songs. Okay. Cool. Um, how about Happy Feet? Happy Feet, great. Okay, let's play Happy Feet. And when did when did and this is this is one of your originals, correct? Yes. And when did you write this song? We wrote that song just. I think around last year, actually, right? I mean, the, we recorded it right before mm-hmm. the record came out. So, um, no, I guess we recorded it in 2014. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we just went in the studio. We did three songs at the same time, and that was one of them. And it was a lot of fun. And Sam Bevan, I want to say, wrote the the horn arrangements to that, and he wrote the song with me. And then Jana Herson actually came in at the last minute and helped me a little bit change the melody, which I I had really made too, uh, what's the word, uh, too complex. So she simplified it, worked with me on the lyrics mm-hmm. a little bit. She really helped me. And she's a great writer also. also and were, were any penguins involved in this song at all? There's a lot of penguins and a big refrigerator <laughs> freezer. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, a lot of <laughs> And I okay. didn't know it at the time. I was writing about the dances of that time of the 30s. So there's a sure. lot of words in there that are about the actual names of dances. But I didn't know that at the time that the Savoy was called the home of the happy feet. Oh. And there's actually a movie. There's a, I think there's a Fred Astaire movie out called Happy Feet. So I just didn't know, but that's what it ended up being called. But the first so thought I had was the, the Penguin movie with the happy feet. But, um, oh, yeah. The, uh, the animation, <laughs> right. with the, the dancing penguin. Um, but this is, uh, uh, I like the Fred Astaire connotation. Yeah. So let, this, is, this is actually humans dancing. Humans dancing, and this is you with the Prohibition Mob Band. Yes, thank you. That, okay, happy feet. Happy feet. You can't find a tire 
Feed with Roberto Donay and the Prohibition Mob Band. Giving you a little radio kind of thing here. I love that radio voice. Uh, my radio yeah, voice. It's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> you do that in coaching too, I guess. You just Why, coach. of course I do. You motivate uh, us. I think that I way, would. Right? Uh, I think I would. Uh, they would run uh, run out of the room, but. Like, why don't you get your life together now? Get your life together. <laughs> if you don't know how, press one now. Yeah, that would be kind of scary. That's good. I like that. Thank you very much. But yeah, you know that that song is based on the 1930s. There were these um, incredible dance halls that were built, and one of them held 6,000 dancers. Can you imagine? And and when I studied, when I was reading, you know, like three times a week, these young people, you know, 20s to 30 years, years old, would go out three times a week, go dancing with their friends. So. I just thought that's an amazing lifestyle difference between then and now. You know, would be very healthy if we could do that now. We'd definitely uh, be a lot thinner as a nation. Maybe <laughs> a lot thinner. But I think the social thing, you know, for young people is sure. super important. And 
instead of staying home and being on the computer, you know, they'd be mm-hmm. going out with their friends and dancing and, you know, it's just awesome, awesome thing to do. And, of course, they've empl- uh, employed a lot of bands that way, so I'm all for that. You know, we have like a, a, like a reasonably thriving scene here in New York, um, you know, for that kind of music and dancing. But by comparison, it's nothing. If you look right. at back in the day where that all these places right. that but are I just think gone New York now. Has better, New York has a better scene for that particular music than probably anywhere in the world, I would think. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but I would think so. Because when I was there, I saw a lot of swing bands. Made me very happy. And uh, the great Swing Forty Six, which had been on uh, in in being fixed up for a couple years, that's back. Yes, I went down there. Yeah. Yeah, I heard the George G. uh, Orchestra. They're fantastic. Oh yeah, Yeah. and he's been around for a long, long time. I love him. He's a great band to, to listen to and to dance to. And they had three flapper dancers. I mean, really beautiful young dancers out on the floor dancing with people, you know, in the audience. It was a mm-hmm. very cool scene. So, yeah, I, I tell everybody to go down there if they're in New York. So hopefully we'll be there soon, too. You know, back in, you know, and this, this swing keeps going through periods of, you know, renaissance here. Uh, in, the, in, the, in the 90s, I was involved with this whole group of people who um, not only did they perform uh, swing and, and um uh, and kind of, you know, also rockabilly, but similar kinds of things, but a lot of swing. But the, they were getting into the really big dress-up uh, phases of people dressing up, not just to go dancing and dressing up in the, in, the, in the outfits of the 30s and 40s, but kind of living it, doing it all the time. Yeah, we had that all the time. Yeah. yeah, we had that here, and we also, it was big in L.A., and of course the, mm-hmm. the movie Swingers came out of L.A. and that whole scene and in fact, oh, right. there's a documentary that just came out on that, behind that movie, that those guys were just trying to, you know, make a little movie about the scene. They weren't thinking anything. Like, it was just a fun project that they had no idea was going to be such a huge, they didn't, I mean, nobody knew that Swing was going to make this huge comeback. No. Right? But I have to tell you, Roberta, you are so money and you just don't know it. Thank you. That, thank you very much. I That's, love of course, that. a line from the movie Swingers. And, yeah, uh, I did actually get to dance in that place in uh, in L.A. in um, uh, what was it called? Brown, um, oh my God, my brain just the Derby, the Derby. Oh, the well, Derby. That was for the, wow. the Derby that was shown in the the movie, which was originally the famous Brown Derby restaurant of uh, Hollywood fame. Right. I don't know if you realize that. Was that the place that had all the pictures on the wall of all the movie yes. stars and stuff? Wow. Yeah, that was the Brown Derby, and now they, then they called it the Derby. Well, you know, next time I go to L.A., i got to go in there and just look at it. Love to see that place. It's awesome. Yeah, the, the history was, you know, you could it was palpable, as they say. Yeah, well, I'd like to see that happen again in terms of, you know, this music. is It's just so much fun. People can dance. Mm-hmm. People, it makes people happy, and... It's not, uh, you know, it's not over people's heads. It's not intellectual. You know what I mean? Not that that's a bad thing, but, um, you know. Not that there's uh, anything wrong with that. All kinds of people can understand it. In fact, um, I think part of the reason I wanted to do this project was to introduce young people into jazz because Mm -hmm. 
um, I've had a lot of people come up and go, is this jazz? Do you call this jazz? And I'm like, yeah. They're like, oh, my God, I really like this. So to a lot of people, you know, it's a four-letter word. They don't uh, yeah. They don't want to hear anything about jazz. Well, you know, but there's all these different kinds of jazz, too. I mean, the jazz right. is, is a big spectrum from that kind of jazz. There's Dixieland jazz. There's bebop jazz and, and all kinds right. of things. Right. There's very, very modern jazz. I love, you know, all the different, I mean, there's funk jazz. Yeah, it's all it's all good. I love all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, the other thing is I think that when people hear this music, there's something about the DNA, you know, it's like their great-great-grandparents probably heard this music back in the day, and it's somehow in their DNA. They hear it, they go, oh, I relate to that. It's very easy to relate to. And so, I don't know, that's just the thing I've been watching with mm-hmm. young people that maybe never even listened to jazz. They really do have a reaction to the music, which is great. You know, by the way, we're, we're in, the, in the in the you know among the last few years, we've, we there are still people alive today who were there, right? Right. Which is just kind of amazing when you think about it, because we have a lot of longevity today. There are people in their hundred and teens who That's are still right. alive who lived through that era. That's right, and and it would be amazing to interview them. Actually, we somehow talk about that. We have a lot of videos up on YouTube by the way, um, the making of the record and all kinds of videos of different songs. And some of them we've interviewed people just about that era and, you know, different people. But it would be great to actually come there and find those people. I know there's a a famous dancer in Harlem who still has a dance company, and she was one of the original dancers from the Savoy. And Yeah. Yeah, and um, she was, I think, 12 years old. And she was just dancing outside, and one of the guys came and grabbed her and brought her in. And they were those real crazy swing dancers where they threw people up in the air and, you know. Mm. My, you my friend, um, Glenn Kreitzer, who was on the show uh, a, a few weeks ago, his, uh, one of his, he has, a, he has, a, he has like a seven-piece and a, uh, he has like three bands, like an orchestra, a swing orchestra, but one of his bands is the Savoy Seven. Oh, I'll have to look them up. Yeah, which is uh, of course that's the derivation. Wow. So um, I would really love to hear about your work with uh, Dan Hicks. Okay. Yeah, I grew up, you know, actually um, on the East Coast. I heard Dan Hicks and the Hot Licks on the radio growing up in the seventies, and oh my God, I was like smitten by them. At you know, at the time when I was listening to radio, and I didn't really. I didn't really like rock and roll very much, so I never mm-hmm. listened to rock and roll. But they were playing, you know, those stations back then, I guess, were all mixed. It was all mixed music. It wasn't ever just one one style of music on the right. station. And whenever they came on, I'd be like, damn, that's great. It's just a great sound. And he took kind of old, you know, folk mixed mm-hmm. with swing, mixed with some country sometimes. And it was just, he had his own sound, and he had these two girl singers with him. And the music was just fantastic. In fact, Tommy LaPuma uh, produced five of their records, and he was out here. So we just did the memorial for Dan. And I I got a call one day. I started singing with Dan in 2005. So I was in the band for ten and a half years. Mm. And, of course, we just lost we just lost Dan Hicks. He passed away on February 6th. 
he had liver cancer. He was going through it for a long time. He was just an amazing, I don't know how to describe, an iconic American songwriter, you know, an amazing performer, one of the best performers I've ever seen in my life, full of energy, very funny. He was kind of like an old vaudeville guy. And um, so it was a great honor. I loved his music from, the, you know, from being a kid. And one day the phone just rang and he said, uh, hey, this is Dan Hicks and uh, hey, Roberta, would you like to come over and sing with me, you know, at his house? And we live in the same town. Mm-hmm. So um, I met him a few years before. He had heard my band at Sweetwater, the old Sweetwater that yeah. you and I talked about for a second. Yes. And um, so I guess he knew who I was. Of course, I knew who he was. And I went over there and... Uh, he played a few songs I, I harmonized right off the bat because I grew up harmonizing mm-hmm. my first band that I was in. I did harmonies with um, another guitar player, and I just love harmonizing. It's a really fun, yeah, wonderful thing to do. Very fun. Mm-hmm. And um, his music is not easy. I mean, in fact, one of the songs he gave me was Viper, and it's elation, hesitation, dissipation. It's really, really fast. The words mm-hmm. go by a million miles a minute. So they weren't easy songs at all, but, um, you know, they were very interesting, very jazzy. And uh, then I said, I said, hey, can I use your guitar? I played him one of my songs, <laughs> which is really funny. And uh, after we sang, I got up to leave, and I said, I guess you have a lot of singers coming here. You know, I thought I was just one of them. Right. And I started to leave, and he goes, where are you going? You got the gig, you know, so... <laughs> <laughs> So he gave me the gig, and I we toured. Um, we were always on tour, so I'd say mm-hmm. one to two weeks a month. We were touring all over the country. We also did Japan. We also uh, Dan took me and Daria, the other singer, to um, the Montreux Jazz Festival in mm-hmm. Switzerland. And uh, also Sid Page came to that, and so that was an amazing. All the whole time was just an amazing experience, and I'm very grateful. And what a great honor to work with him. Also an incredible arranger, you know, one of the best arrangers, sure. one of the greatest band leaders, yeah. And 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 from the you know the the, the ten years you you spent with Dan Hicks, is there like something uh, uh, something that you really learned or something that you might want to share with us that you got out of that that you might not have gotten otherwise? Yeah, you know, number one, well, first of all, I played percussion and sang with him and danced, and he was actually a great dancer. He studied, I guess, ballroom dancing, so he mm-hmm. we, he was all about entertainment, so it wasn't just standing there playing your instrument and singing. It was a very interactive show, and he was such an amazing entertainer, and he's so funny. And so I really learned, you know, I would sometimes be on that stage almost peeing in my pants from just laughing so much <laughs> and trying to hold it together, and... uh I really did learn. I learned a whole lot about being an entertainer from Dan. Um, of course, I, there's no, I can't even estimate how much musically I gained from singing with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and we ended up writing some of our own arrangements, and he gave us credit. Uh, we were on the last three albums of, of his, too. Uh, but, yeah, I just learned. I was also already a, a music producer, but he was a fantastic, really fantastic ranger. He really knew his music in and out he would you know he would make demos at home that had all the parts already in them so he had all of the 
you know, the the parts between the violin and the, the guitar, mm-hmm. or the mandolin and the guitar, he would have these ensemble sections, and we played a lot of standards. Um, and he loved music from this era also, so he he turned me on to, I don't know, we he played, I think one of the songs I recorded on A Little Sugar I heard first from touring with Dan, it's called Rocking Chair, it's a Hoagie Carmichael song, and he had the record of um, the... The Mills Brothers version of that. So he would just, you know, we'd be on tour and we have tons of hours in the van, like seven hours a day or whatever. And he would just be bringing all these old CDs and stuff and playing them for us. And I'd be like, "Who's that?" (laughs) So it was like music education the whole time. And he's a huge jazz fan. So, and he was born in 1941. So he, you know, he was brought up in the during the big band era. He was also a drummer, by the way. He started as a drummer. I did not know that. Yeah, he was a drummer in, uh, I think when he was 14, he played in big bands, stuff in school, and then he was the drummer in the Charlatans. He also played guitar, but he he became their drummer because I think they needed a drummer. And then uh, the Charlatans turned out to be the very first psychedelic band out of San Francisco. So they kind of started that scene. Isn't that funny? Yeah. You know, I'm thinking there, there are several people who... You 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 wouldn't think of them as drummers who are more known for being frontmen of groups like Dave Grohl, um, right? Don uh, Henley. Yes, and um, oh, now I just can't think of his name. Uh, from Karen Carpenter. <laughs> and front woman, yeah. So there's a, there's a, um, the other one that I'm not. I can't think of the name from. Uh, was it Genesis from? Uh, oh yeah, uh, Phil Collins. Phil Collins. And so like all these people, you like. Really? They were drummers? Yeah, they were drummers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And great drummers, not just Yeah, and drummers. great drummers. And and then to see them doing, you know, I always think of Dave Grohl because he just blows me away with, he sings and plays guitar as well as anybody I can think of. And he was, what a great drummer he was. Well, you know, my theory is that, you know, you can, I can only sound as great as the musicians that I play with. So I mm-hmm. always try my best to get the greatest players that I can. I'm very, very, very lucky because I was, I don't know, my career was built on musicians hiring me, you know, that was like my fortune that musicians would call me to sing with them. And so I think, um, you know, a great drummer to me is is kind of the leader of the band in a way because Mm -hmm. he's driving, he or she is driving the band. Right. And, you know, without the rhythm, you got nothing. Without the groove, you don't have very much, unless you're just playing, you know, guitar. And I did for years play solo guitar and took my guitar out on the road, just me and the guitar, <laughs> sorry, as wow. a singer-songwriter. So, um, you know, but it's not it's not great for your rhythm if you don't have a drummer, actually. Right. So, No, that's, yeah. that's Have you ever heard a, a late-era Sinatra record called Here's to the Band? Yes. And he thanks the band, basically. This is, he wouldn't, he'd be nothing with it. And he, even, he even says... And the AF of M, the American Federation uh, Federation of Musicians, which I just thought was a pretty amazing uh, thing for him to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's so a, well, I another think he, record he where he that. lists people he's played. It was uh, his version of Mac the Knife. He actually lists Sidemen. Right. That he's played with. Right? It's well, amazing. it's a smart it's a smart thing to do for a singer, yeah. especially to realize that, you know, it's the musicians that make the sound, and I'm extremely aware of when I make a record or 
put a band together or whatever I'm doing on the road, um, you know, it's all about how great are those guys behind me because I'm not going to sound good if they're not playing well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's why we like to feed our musicians. You know? Sure. We like to pay them. You know, we like to... You know, we like them to have a comfortable place to to sleep, and it's a very expensive deal to take a band on the road these days. And I mean, it always has been, but it's even more so now. So it's very, you know, it's a tricky, it's a tricky business. So I would, uh, you know, we're, believe it or not, we're, we're running out of time here. So I want to get to oh a couple God. more songs okay. before we run out of time. We're down to 9:44 here in New York. Oh my gosh. So pick one of the songs you'd like to hear. I'm gonna be lucky to get another two in. Let's do um, "Throw Your Heart" and then "Bathtub Gin" if that's good. Throw your, throw your heart. Did you say? And and bathtub gin. Throw your throw heart, your heart over, the, over fence? the fence. Let's play "Throw Your Heart Over the Fence." That sounds very yes. painful. Let's do that. <laughs>
Roberto Dene and the Prohibition Mob Band here That's on right. Blog Talk Radio. Radio, radio. I made my own echo. I like that. Very, very. Thank you very much. Very, that was very awesome. It was very pro, actually. Thank you very much. Much, much. We don't have we don't have stuff like that in California, so you know. You, you don't have to. <laughs> hey, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I would also want to mention that if you guys want to check us out, it's it's uh, robertadonay.com, R-O-B-E-R-T-A-D-O-N-N-A-Y.com. And again, we're all over all over the web. We're all over Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're and everywhere. We've got lots of Roberta videos. Donay, correct. And your lots YouTube channel is that also Roberta mm-hmm. Donay? Uh, different channels. We have Motema Music is one of the channels, and Neku Jack is one of the channels. And then we have Roberta Donay has some of them. But I just have to type in my name, basically, and they'll all mm-hmm. pretty much come up, tons and tons. And there's also some videos of me with Dan Hicks. And oh, nice. Dan Hicks opening some of our shows. It's very cute. So uh, lots and lots of videos up there. So. I have most of those links on the show page. And also, if you uh, want to uh, do something like go out and get an album, which you don't actually even have to leave your privacy or your room anymore, I made a, a bit.ly for everybody to make this really easy. Uh, bit.ly is the, the link shortener, so it's bit.ly.com or just bit.ly slash bathtub gin album, lowercase. So it's bit.ly.com slash bathtub gin album. We'll take you to the Amazon page with bathtub gin, the album. How groovy wow, is that? Wow, that's cool. Wow. Yeah. Jake, man, Jake. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, speaking of bathtub gin, I definitely want to get that song in. So we're yes. going to do bathtub gin right now. And uh, if, if I had any bathtub gin, I would drink along with us. I'm drinking it right now. Yeah. Excellent. Uh-huh. Excellent. Save Just me a Just made it over here ahead. in my bathtub. Yeah, totally. Nice. Uh-huh. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> Only the finest because she, because she have a great bathtub. Bathtub. Absolutely. Got to have yeah. got to have a bathtub to make bathtub gin. Exactly. You know. Hopefully, you get a nice clawfoot tub. Oh yes, yes. That's that would be the Otherwise, it's not really the good stuff. It's not really about the gin. It's really about the bathtub, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, I think it is. Yes. Thank so, uh, you guys for listening. By the way, thanks for listening yeah. to the music. 
and to Andrew, who's awesome. You guys are uh, awesome over there. Really. Thank you. Yeah, great uh, interviewer, great person, great person to know. So. Tell me more. Tell me about my eyes. Let's play bathtub Jimmy before <laughs> I get carried away. Eyes? He has yes, two eyes. Yes, it's a Bugs Bunny thing. Yeah, one on each side. Yeah. Okay, Bathtub Gin, Roberta Denae, and the Prohibition Mob Band title song. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
Wow. Bathtub yeah, that jam. was live. That, that those was... songs were recorded live, by the way. And one of my favorite things is how the trumpet player, that's Rich Armstrong on trumpet, he runs out of air at the end of that. Mm. And then he comes back in and goes, takes <laughs> 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 another breath. And, yeah, it's just, you know, there's things like that that just really make it special for me. And by the way, that record won an award in Downbeat. It won the uh, Best Albums 2015. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, pretty awesome. So, I'm sure that made you feel very upbeat. Very important. Very important. Yeah. It, it is. So I'm really, uh, by the way, I'm very uh, thrilled to, to hear you tell me that that was recorded live because very few things are these days. Well, that was the concept of um, making making this music was we wanted to make it as close to how they would make records back then too, and right. so. We had to find studios that had, you know, all the instruments, and we could, you know, you know, separate the sounds out and mm-hmm. have everybody there. In this case, we had uh, really six horns, but we had we had three horn players, so we did overdub some of the horn parts. Um, so some of it was live, and some of it was, you know, because mm-hmm. we didn't have all the personnel. But yeah, basically everything everything that was cut on all the records we did. In fact, we did two albums uh, in in three days. We did twenty. Six songs in three days. Wow. Yeah. That's on yeah. fire, man. Yeah, and well, the songs are short. You know, they're only some of them are only two minutes. So, those songs back then they didn't have seven minute songs. So. Although we had a, a couple of uh, four minute and plus uh, songs tonight. Yeah, I guess because the the original thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I so. Believe it or not, we have a minute and a half to go. We have really, I, I wish I had more time. That's how, that's how I know, good this hello. was. Yeah, thank that's you. A good thing. It's a good thing, Roberta. So let me thank, thank you, you so much uh, for being on my show, for uh, being so generous to have me have your songs played on my show, which I'm very grateful for. And we can thank find you, you at uh, robertadonay.com at D-O-N-N-A-Y, and the links are on my page. And again, yep. you can find uh, find you on all over YouTube, on Amazon, and bitly. dot com slash bathtub gin album lowercase, and uh, and and on Twitter at Roberta Denae, and you can find right. me, Coach Andrew, at uh, also on Twitter at Coach Andrew, and um, we're going to have one minute to go, so I'm going to say goodnight, and I'm going to play everybody out with uh, you've. You've been a good old wagon. Anybody listening live will hear it in its entirety, and the rest of you will just hear the first uh, 45 seconds or so. Thanks again, Roberta. Thanks, Thanks, Andrew. It was really fun. Thanks, you guys. Thanks for listening. We love you guys. Night.
See you next time.